Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 12 of the 107 podcast with myself and Ash. Uh, I would carry on, but we do actually have two guests with us. Uh, and this week we are joined by Terry and Matt, who both are part of the uh, Fans Talk F1 podcast and um, are reasonably popular on uh, TikTok as well, which is pretty cool. Um, but I will let them both introduce yourselves. Uh, why don't you go first, Terry? Um, yeah, so I'm Terry. Most people know me as the F1 Coffee Corner from my TikTok page. Um, started it, I'm um, coming to a one-year anniversary, actually, on TikTok. And, yeah, I just started delivering daily news um, in a fast way, quite a simple sort of way of doing it, so that people can get it straight to their inboxes, nicely quick, not got knowledge, and then with the community and trying to promote a community where fans are welcome no matter how they got into the sport, no matter what their opinions are, and try in an environment where you can actually have a debate, but a healthy debate and respect people's opinions already. So, yeah, and obviously TikTok is how myself and Matt met, so I'll, I'll let Matt introduce himself, I think. Yeah, I'm known as F1 Matt, and nobody knows me at all, as you've already pointed out. <laughs> I, won't hold, I, won't hold that against, I won't hold that against you. I won't hold that against you. I mean, for it to come like that, I do a follow I might just drop it in now and again, but I won't hold it against you, I promise you. Um, yeah, pretty much the same as Terry. Um, just like TikTok is a bit of fun, to be honest. Yeah. Posting now and again. And it just kind of exploded from there. Um, as Terry touched on above, you know, we've we've kind of got to the point now where we've sort of created a little, I say little, it's not massive, but we've got a little TikTok community going and we all like and share each other's posts and comment on each other's and just support each other and stuff like that. I've recently just started a F1 quiz and we do that for Friday night as well. So that's getting a little bit more popular as now uh, as well now. So that's good. It's all good fun. Yeah, nice. That's actually how I uh, discovered you. Not the um, the quiz, but through your F one like lives. I I think I yeah. came across that randomly. Um, it's a good thing to be on F one TikTok for sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, I came across that randomly, and uh, yeah, thought shoot your shot, why not? Essentially, um, and that's obviously how how we've all ended up here. But um, I believe you've also got your own podcast, right? Which is, I know, obviously, you said you met each other via TikTok, but you've then gone on to to do your own podcast, which is great. Yeah, we um we introduced it where we just do a race debrief after the race, so keeping it nice and simple, fits in with the calendar, and we just wanted something that was a bit different, so we actually recorded it live on TikTok, and we do it so that it's completely live before it gets edited, but there's fan interaction so people can hop in there they can put the questions in there they can kind of shape the debate on it they can put their point of view in we can discuss it so it just a, a slightly different way of doing it i'd say and i think by keeping it to the races it keeps it quite quite fresh don't you say matt yeah I completely agree yeah it's an interesting way of doing it like i hadn't seen anyone stream live record chuck it up <laughs> on like apple Podcasts or anything like that so it's like very unique essentially um so i'm a big big fan of that as well like so much like community interaction and i guess it's good obviously you both have like a decent following as well like individually which makes it a lot easier to you know get people's questions in and stuff like that which is which is absolutely brilliant yeah yeah and that was, that was the whole point you just try and build on on that community but do something a bit different so even though it's it gets edited when it goes on there. It's filmed live. So obviously, you know, yeah. there's there's some bits like the outtakes we disappear, obviously, for you don't <laughs> want to hear that in the car do at the end of the day. But it's good fun. And it's it's 
it's good engagement as well. It's really good to actually be speaking to other people as well. And it's not scripted that way as well, which is one thing we're really keen on it, not being a scripted podcast because when it's even a bit polished sometimes, I'd say. It, it does come with, with its risks and rewards though, doesn't it? I mean, the, the challenges we've had in terms of setting up each of the sounds and, and stuff like that, like Terry said, trying to edit it um, in the background is an absolute nightmare. But I think it's like you said, it's a little bit of a niche. There's, there isn't anybody else doing it, so, so, so to speak, at the moment. And it helps us as well that if we're talking, so like last week, for example, we did the um, re, we did a reverse grid. So it helps us to dip in and rather than us just babbling on and on and on, we'll dip in and we'll pull some of the comments up and we'll start talking about what people want to hear. So I think that's a good side of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's like I said, never sort of seen that before. I know that there's like one where they do like race watch alongs, I think with like Tomo F1 and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's the only similar thing that I'd seen like within the within the world of F1, to be completely honest. So yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good. Um, so I do have a couple of questions, like just to, you know, see, see where opinions may be, <laughs> may be crossed, uh, oh and then, uh, normal questions, nothing ridiculous. And then we'll get on to like the, the triple header coming up, um, and some of the bits and pieces as well. Um, but so I'll start off with who is the greatest of all time for both of you? Yeah, because um, straight in there. Mine's, mine's Ayrton Senna. I grew up watching Senna and, you know, we were obviously wrong with, you know, the, the true comparison with mm. obviously what happened. Um, pretty poignant considering where we're going this weekend. But yeah. For me, it's Senna. He's a pure racer. You know, he just, at the time, just gave everything. So, you know, I think statistics will point towards other people, but that's that's my pick still. Yeah, I think we we spoke about it last week on the podcast. It's like I think that's one of the biggest what ifs in Formula One history is what if he didn't crash or survive the crash or whatever. Like how yeah. how successful would he have been had he carried on for another ten years or however long he carried on for? Um, I think that there would have been different records to break now for Hamilton or Max or whoever. So I'm a little bit different. So I'm a little bit of a generational fan. So I look at it on. I'm not quite as old as Terry. Make it that what you will. Um, <laughs> I do apologise to for airing you right, uh, right in the podcast. <laughs> but I look at it as generational. So for me, my generation, my go would have to be Lewis Hamilton. But that doesn't stop me from, you know, idolising other people like Senna, Schumacher, uh, you know, alike. Because you can you can be a goat of a generation, I, I believe. Um, but yeah, there's there's many out there. There's many out there. Yeah, I think I think we've said again something very similar in terms of like the the generations of cars and the generations of drivers are so different. It's always very hard to compare, um, especially with like something as simple as just the engines changing. Let alone like the like full regulations. Um, it's it's always stupidly stupidly difficult, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, for for record mind Schumacher and Ash, whose was yours? I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, no, I think we said our favourites because I said Shiel Fiona was my favourite driver, but the goat for me is Michael Schumacher. That's a good answer, very biased, but <laughs> I, I think I'm, he... I'm, I'm glad we've all, all disagreed on who the goat is. Oh, yeah, that's a great start. Isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I think I just think Schumacher raised the game when he brought in fitness, when he just brought in like just pounding the car out, and testing, just getting the maximum out of it and i think if you can do it across multiple cars and multiple teams 
that's at least a baseline for being one of the greatest. So with Max, until he moves to another team, I don't think he can ever be in the greatest of all time debate unless he wins with another team. I mean, you say that, but he's probably going to retire at the end of his Red Bull contract. So, I mean, we we may never know, um, which would be sad to see, but, you know. Uh, And then speaking of uh, drivers on the grid, uh, I'm going to go to you first, Matt. Who is your favorite driver on the grid at the moment? I have a funny feeling you're going to say Hamilton after the last question. (laughs) It is going to be Hamilton. Like I say, that's my generation. So at the moment, Hamilton's my generational goat. But that doesn't stop me liking George. Mm. I like Leclerc, Sainz, um, so on and so forth. So I'm not, you know, I am a dedicated, hardcore Hamilton ultra but I do like to see others achieve as well. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned uh, you mentioned George there very, very briefly. Do you think that Hamilton's going to start coming back at George this season? Obviously, with with how the results have differed and stuff like that, how do you think the the inter team sort of results are going to be? I do, but then maybe I'm biased. Mm, but then okay. you, you also look at last year, don't you? And you you think to yourself, well. I mean, we don't know the true ins and outs of what Lewis was testing and what he wasn't testing. Yeah. Does that play into it? Doesn't play into it. You know, we can only go by what we read in the press. Yeah, I mean, we obviously, we have Imola coming up this week. It is race week. Uh, and uh, obviously last year, year before, no, wait, year before, yes. Obviously, uh, Max overtook and literally lapped Hamilton this time last year, which is just mad to think about. Um, so it's going to also be very interesting to see where like those Merck upgrades managed to put them on the on the grid as well but um and then uh, uh, terry favorite driver on the grid at the moment and um, mine's same as matt I'm, I'm a lewis fan you know first and foremost i think for what he's not only what he's achieved but what he's done for the sport going back to what i said about schumacher i think lewis is in that category of what he's brought to the sport and outside of the sport and what he's done with his profile i think you know he's, his reach is very much further than formula one alongside the achievements as well so but I do think that we're now in a position where there's a lot of great drivers on the grid. Yeah, like Matt said. And, yeah, I think if we talk about generational eras, it kind of feels like we're now coming into the Max era. Yeah. And, you know, I think we, we are seeing that that change over that change of the guards as such. Yeah, I think you're bang on, to be completely honest. <laughs> um, I think that, like you said, Lewis has essentially transcended Formula 1. Like, he's he's almost as big as the sport itself, which is absolutely mad when you think about it. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's some some would say he's even bigger, wouldn't I? I know, you know, yeah, might be an unpopular opinion, but you know, for one driver to have more followers than what Formula One has on Instagram and pretty sure, yeah, things like that, you know, it's it's pretty pretty mad to think about all of that and to think of the star status he still commands, even you know, the troubles that Mercedes have had, and you know, you still see races. I can guarantee that nine out of ten fans would be running to get a picture and autograph or something with Lewis if he walked through a paddock. With a bunch of drivers, you know, guaranteed. Yeah. But listen, l- listen. Look at look at the impact he had when he went radio silence. So he went radio silence at the end of a certain year, yeah. didn't he? And look at yeah. look at look at the turmoil that that caused on the whole of F one and the community alone. And then the comeback was just immense, wasn't it? That one post of him stood over yeah. over the Grand Canyon exploded. Like, yeah, exploded everything, didn't it? With with the iron back sort of thing. And I think the thing is, he's become. Worldwide, by worldwide, I kind of count America, that's where it, without Drive to Survive, whereas Drive to Survive has brought in a lot of American fans who, you know, Chuck Leclerc, I think is, is yeah. a meme that went around, and people know George and Carlos a lot more, but he was big there. 
before Formula One really took off. Um, I think it goes to show like, his impact. And he's, I know they're kind of greats and greats, but like Ali and Jordan, they've transcended the sport. And that's what he's done as well. Yeah, absolutely bang on. Uh, we'll we'll jump on very quickly to favourite circuits, circuits you're looking forward to this year. Of this calendar year, it, I mean, yeah, we won't name circuits that aren't on the calendar anymore. <laughs> um, personally, I'm looking forward to Silverstone because it's actually the first time I'm going to a Grand Prix. So for me, there's like the heritage of Silverstone. That's like, I just want to do um, in terms of what we can expect from Formula One, I'm excited for Vegas, not necessarily as a racetrack, more as a spectacle. I'd say as a fan, I'm quite intrigued to see what America does with Las Vegas and that weekend. Um, but I don't think it's going to be a great race looking at the track. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think if we if we look at the the stuff that went down during Miami, I think Vegas is going to try and top that. So it's going to be very interesting to see how bad slash good slash strange the entire weekend is going to be. Cringe. I think cringe. Cringe, I think, is the word. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to be an emotional weekend. It's going to be From so start weird. to finish. Yeah. Those jackets are going to be out there, you know. <laughs> Uh, mine, I'd, I'd probably have to go a little bit different. I do like Silverstone. I am looking forward to it. Sam is Terry. Uh, I am going to Silverstone this year. Nice. Um, but I'd probably say Red Bull Ring for me. Yeah, that was uh, so. Uh, that was my technically my <laughs> second <laughs> second Grand Prix, uh, and it's got a, a special place in my heart. First full race that I saw technically. Yeah. Um, I was at Belgium in 2021, so uh, I think we all know how well that went. Um, but uh, <laughs> so Belgium can jog on as far as I'm concerned. We won't talk about that. No, please don't. <laughs> I, I genuinely have PTSD. It was one of the worst days in, in the history of days, honestly. Um, but uh, and then for some reason, I decided it would be a great idea to think about booking tickets this year. And for some reason, I didn't, which is which is very very good. Um, but uh, I think, yeah, that was, that was my first race as well, was in Belgium, and then first proper race where we actually saw proper racing um, was was uh, Austria with with Ash. We did a we did like a like a road trip last year in the summer, which was brilliant, to be honest. Um, I'd love to go. I mean, it's one of them tracks when you look at it, you actually don't you actually don't realise the, the the difference in levels. Mm, yeah, yeah it's insane. It is literally insane. And it's such a simplistic track to actually look at from an aerial point of view. But it offers so much more. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's genuinely a really fun track. And I guess, uh, I don't know if either of you two do any like sim racing or like even just with a controller, just on F1 games or anything like that. But it's also a really fun track to drive as well. It is. I, I'm, I'm just an old-fashioned controller person. Um, <laughs> Matt, Matt's so old-fashioned, he hasn't discovered PlayStation yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to, and I used to have the steering wheel and the setup and that, but I've given my son now because I just don't play it anymore. Yeah, it's, it's just... Is that what they would say, you I'll be honest, it's become too hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even ashamed to admit it. <laughs> it's fair enough. It's completely fair can I, enough. Can I ask, um, how did you both get into Formula One? Um... Do you want to go first, Matt? Or, um, you know, I, I'm like, I, I, you're all that. You know, literally sat with my dad watching football. My dad's a huge Formula One fan. And when we grew up, that's what we used to do on a Sunday. We just sit there and watch it. He used to be asked all the time. Um, we used to watch that. And then a bit of NFL when sort of Channel 4, BBC has, has the rights there. So, nice. and then just followed on, really, you know, as, as I got older. So, yeah, it's always been a part of 
my my family, my upbringing was pretty safe. Ah, nice. Yeah, mine's a little bit different. So I haven't got any family that are into F1 uh, other than the wife. Um, but mine was, I mean, I, I watched a lot of sport, even if, if, if it's something that doesn't interest me, I'll have it on in the background. Yeah. And it started off with F1 like that for me. So painstakingly for me, like Schumacher's era and stuff like that, was always on in the background. Yeah. But I never, I never took major notice of it, if that makes sense. And I suppose when Lewis popped up on the scene and started making a name for himself, I started to take a bit more interest in it. So I'd probably say um, Lewis's beginning of Lewis era was my main main stove in F1. Yeah, I, uh, I have pretty much the exact same answer as you, Matt. Like it literally, I remember, I think it was my, like my gran. She was like, oh, have you heard like this kid's come into Formula One and like just done some, like done absolutely amazing. I can't even remember what she said, but she brought it to my attention. And it was the like Lewis's debut season in, in McLaren. And that's how I how I got started as well. So I guess a very similar sort of story yeah. to you. I have, a, I have a very quick follow up question as well. You said that your your wife's interested in Formula One. Did you get her interested in? Was she previously interested in F1? I got her into it. You converted. But she, 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 won't, she won't tell you that, though. <laughs> you see, my wife's the opposite. Doesn't even, you know, does he want to watch it? <laughs> well, funny, my, my interest is the same as yours, Terry. So my dad got me into it kind of in the 2000s with Schumacher and a young Fernando Alonso coming up. And I was like, oh, that's the guy I'm, I'm going to support, you know, because he's dethroning the king. Yeah, and then he kind of grew out of love, uh, love with the sport, and hybrid era came in, and uh, I kind of grew more into it. So, yeah, it's funny how we kind of aligned each other on how we got into the sport. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's always interesting finding out like how on earth people manage to you know watch cars go around in circles every weekend. Like it's it's such a it's just a silly simple concept, but it's insane. And everyone's story is pretty is like similar but different as well. Um, and then uh, speaking of circles, uh, if you had to drop a race from the calendar, which one would it be, and why is it Qatar? <laughs> just, just a straight question really I don't, know, I don't know why it wouldn't be no influencing Jake no influence sorry uh, uh, which circuit <coughs> guitar <coughs> would you drop I'm, I'm about to break your podcast for you oh, I'm about to upset quite a lot of people oh, no. I because going? I have a little bit of controversy on this and Terry knows me well that I am the controversial one out of the two I'm going to say Monaco yes yes <laughs> just simply because Look, I love, I love the idea of Monaco. I love the heritage of it. I love the background. You know, I love everything that goes into a race weekend with Monaco. However, you qualify first, and all being the weather aside, and pit stops, mm. as we've seen over the years, Both you qualify first, you finish in first. Yeah, no, I, I it's totally just, agree with you. it's just it's, not it, the amount of people that call it a procession, not a race. Yeah, is. Yeah, I've lost count. And I totally get what you're saying. It's a great event. Qualifying brings out the best of the best in the drivers and it's Monica and it's got heritage. But as a pure race, it's not It's not a race. It's, it's well, it, I mean, it's funny you mention that, but the most important part of uh, Monaco weekend, the most Saturday. bit that you get most excited for is Saturday qualifying. Yeah. Yeah, and then it, it comes to the Sunday and you're like, ooh, bit of a snooze fest again. Maybe they should make it a sprint race. <laughs> don't, 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 start, don't give them ideas that they don't need please reverse grid reverse grid <laughs> could you imagine 
yeah, Logan Sargent would probably bin it into the wall within three corners <laughs> at the front of that. Um, but <laughs> um, but uh, I guess it's also frustrating for Monaco because you had Formula E there last weekend, this weekend, and there were so many overtakes, it was ridiculous. I think there was 160 overtakes during the whole weekend. So it yeah. just se- it, weirdly, it just seems to be a Formula One problem, not a racing problem. So I, I think you're right. I, I, I w- I'm 50-50. To, to dropping it as well. So I don't think it's that controversial anymore, to be honest with you. I've got a confession, oh, Matt. So I, was I don't know. Me, if you're a Monaco me, actually. Or I was going to chuck Miami in the mix, but you know. <laughs> oh, you Yeah, not- I, didn't, I didn't go Miami just because it's, it's still a little bit <laughs> no. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan of, of the Miami Grand Prix as such. Um, I've, I found it very boring um again it's what you look for isn't it spectacle razzmatazz a show yes but in terms of an actual race um we watched it live at Silverstone and we struggled to recall what happened and it wasn't because of the cocktails on the rooftop it was genuinely because you know the actual action just wasn't there and all the overtakes were like a very simple on the straight down into two and one nothing really nothing really going no real sort of pit stops no real action so i don't know where that played a part in it but it it probably threw me off in race. Do you know what made that even worse though for us? We then had to rewatch the same race the next day so that we could yeah, do the podcast. The podcast yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, right, yeah. yeah. So we didn't watch it once, we watched it twice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, maybe that's playing on my mind a bit. Really <laughs> and I even fell asleep during the highlights as well. That's too, too <laughs> it was it was very procedural, so I do I do get it. But I think I think this year the track was better than last year uh, because obviously they fixed that weird turn under a bridge, um, yeah. and they fixed that. But then they reduced the DRS zone weirdly, um, and then were concerned as to why there wasn't that many overtakes. It just seems a bit counterintuitive. But like it it might take a few years to get better i don't know how long the contracts there for in miami actually to be honest. you need to define a few years <laughs> yeah good another, point. another thing that plays into it this season is the red bull dominance mm. so if you take sergio and max out races are actually exciting because you've got mercedes sometimes come up against the astons and you get a real mix in qualifying but they're just so far ahead and as much as you love midfield and battles, it's a fight for the podium positions that really get people excited. And honestly, if Max wasn't qualifying, was it ninth or eighth in Miami? He just, him and Sergio just would have been one, two. Yeah. It was really exciting when he did his first step overtakes, then he did a stint, then he got past Sergio, and it was just like, we just watch Max race kind of thing. Yeah. Everyone else was just in a procession. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Like I, I thought the first 10, 15 laps were reasonably interesting, and then the final two, that was it. So I can understand how you would fall asleep during the race. Like, it's, it's perfectly understandable, to be completely honest. Well, um, I, think, I think going back to Matt's point about Monaco, I think the problem is the cars are just too big, they're too heavy. There's not enough yeah. room there. It's it's become a trap. Which, despite what it brings to the calendar in terms of heritage and everything else, it's just not a good trap for racing at all. I I had being the controversial one that I am again. I had a brilliant idea for Monaco. So if you can't drop Monaco from the from the season, mm. why not make Monaco where every every team has to have one heritage car? 
Now, that team has to drive that heritage car on the Monaco weekend. Charles Leclerc. But if, I mean, if F1 are looking at ways of mixing stuff up. He said he got a couple of year contract. We just get it. We're <laughs> <laughs> not a fan of my idea then, no. I won't pitch it. I, to be fair, I think if you're going to mess with any Grand Prix, I think Monaco is probably the one to mess with. Like in terms mm. of like, if you want to try like Sprint Saturdays or whatever it is, because it has become very procedural. You could try one-stop quality in Monaco because that might actually mix things up. You could try like changing instead of it being um, one mandatory pit stop if it's dry. You could try two, or you must use all three tire compounds or something like that. Yeah, that's the weekend where you try and mess around with stuff, not Baku. Which, I mean, <laughs> yeah, great, but also why? Um, so I think I I kind of agree with you um, to a certain extent. Um, but like heritage cars, I mean, what would the rules be for that? Like, could you bring out anything? Is it just free for all? Free for all. So you could, you could you could technically bring out the W11 if you're Mercedes and just roll with that. I would I would never allow Mercedes to bring that beast back. Right. <laughs> so what, 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 what if you have to? What are you bringing if you have? Um, <laughs> That's a good question. You know what I mean? Okay, okay. Well, I'll, I'll have a think about this idea a bit more deeply, shall I? <laughs> I mean, are they going to borrow one from Ferrari or something? You know, what? Listen, it sounded good on paper, though, didn't it? So we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Cut that bit out. Find yeah, just, fun. yeah. <laughs> But uh, that was about it for for the sort of questions that that we did have. Um, but um, uh, sorry, just very quickly, Terry, did you say you would also drop Monaco, or would you drop a different circuit? Um, I would drop Monaco, but I think Miami, if it doesn't improve, is one of the ones as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I I agree with that. But at the same time, I have a funny feeling they they will try anything to to make it work. Yeah, and I think I think this is the balance between what you know. F1 get from it from a commercial value and what yeah. we get from it from a racing value, isn't it? And I think that's the challenge that, you know, we're talking about Spa potentially dropping off the grid. Yeah, there's there's some really strong tracks that, yeah, we've already lost some some really good tracks as well. And actually, if you look at the tracks they've been replaced with, I wouldn't say we've got a better quality of racing by going to the, these new tracks at all. So it's not as if we've all new tracks in the goal, actually. Fantastic, they're mm. new tracks, they're purpose built, they allow for overtaking. They don't, so you know, yeah, they don't really go. No, street circuit yeah. in a car park, which exactly. is a street circuit. Yeah, <laughs> weren't they talking about Miami at one point? They were talking about trying to make the track go through the stadium at one point, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, they were, yeah, which is just, I mean, they've had huge problems. That, that turn that you're on about, Jacob, earlier, they've had massive problems just getting that little tweak to it because they don't own the road around it and it's sake. literally it's as basic as they couldn't change it because they didn't have the rights to change it i didn't know that that's ridiculous yeah. that's such a ridiculous that's why it's, i think it's two i think it's two and 14 and that's why it's always that's why it's always going to be as shocking as it is because that's kind of the best they could do with the bit of land they own and track which is and for something like you've, you've, got, you've got the rights for that corner there then you look at the la strip at the moment which they've completely ripped up yeah and resurfacing at the cost of something like some daft like five billion or whatever they yeah, said it was at the, the point. Amount just... of money, yeah. Yeah, but and the difference it... is Las Vegas, they want it to be more respectful because that is Formula One. They're the promoter for the first time ever. Yeah. It's their money involved. And that's why you're going back to what you said earlier about it being an event, it's gonna be massive because for them, if they could make that work, 
then the other team, the other promoters are going to be seriously worried about what they want to put in place. Because yeah, Sunday's going to go the to say, we can now promote a race. This is what we want from you. And if you don't like it, off you go. And we're, we're get someone who can meet that criterion. Well, Las Vegas is already going to fail because we haven't got Daniel Ricciardo driving it. So we we actually mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I have a funny feeling he'll have it written into his contract somewhere that he has to do an FP in one of the in one of the cars. It, it seems like the sort of thing that he would ask for. I think it's the sort of thing they're obliged by, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. From from a marketing perspective, that would probably get a hell of a lot of views across social, yeah. etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So like, it even makes sense from like a Red Bull perspective. Even if they just say, right, okay, you're going to drive last year's car, go for yeah. it. Um, or they have like an open tire test during like between FP one and two or whatever it is. Um, they'll they'll get him in a seat somehow over the well, over the weekend. Well, you're about to a 2021 car now, aren't you? That you're able to race. So putting him in in the 2021 Red Bull, you know, I, I think that's that's certainly something feasible they'd be doing mm. in the build up to it. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but uh, I think I think it's going to be insane, regardless of of whether or not Danny does actually like race the whole weekend is going to be ridiculous um and it's also like it's really weird because the race is on a Saturday night as well which is a strange thing to have done but also kind of makes sense it makes sense I mean I think it makes it easier for viewing as well doesn't it from what I can gather because otherwise they're going into is it they're going into Monday morning and they didn't really want to commercially do that as well so and I think the idea of Saturday night racing in Vegas kind of Adds again adds to the spectacle, doesn't it? By having it on a on a Saturday night rather than the Sunday, three p.m. wherever you are in the world, sort of thing. Which traditionally, what Formula One have liked to have done, isn't it? Apart from obviously night races, but they like that sort of yeah you know, Sunday afternoon start time wherever you are, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Also, Vegas is super hot, so sitting there yeah. at three p.m. Uh, you're you're just you're gonna hate it. <laughs> you're just gonna hate it. So. Having it in the cooler evening time also just makes sense for the fans as well. Yeah, true. I hadn't actually thought of that, to be fair. It is, it is a desert, to be honest. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm a bit worried about the fans who are going to be out all day, though, you know, rocking up at whatever time it is on, the, on a Saturday night on the Vegas Strip, watching the Formula One cars, you know, can make for some interesting crowd shots. Yeah, it could be literally just people completely melting. Um, <laughs> and the tickets were insane as well. I remember seeing that somebody, like someone managed to sell somehow a ticket for a million dollars. I would be, I would expect to Are be driving a car? on yes. the grid for a million dollars. If you're paying a million dollars, I'm on the grid. I want to be on the formation lap yeah. for a million dollars. Yeah, exactly. Then, yeah. then I'm on the grid. I want That's to be probably- on that. That was probably a general admin ticket as well, wasn't it? Yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> um, I also saw they were trying to they were trying to sell like a fan zone experience ticket, and it was literally just like a big screen, and then like you know, almost like Wembley Box Park, where you could just turn up, have some food and stuff like that, but you pay to get in, and it was like three hundred dollars for the for just the the Saturday night. Like how? Yeah, it just seems an insane, absolutely insane concept. That's a lot more feasible than the actual ticket prices, though. Yeah, true. So, I mean, there is that. So, but like, where do we where do we find them tickets? <laughs> I'm sure somebody. If you've got money to spend, I'm sure somebody will find you a ticket um, for for that weekend for sure. Uh, but so, also, you both you both mentioned that you're going to Silverstone this year. Is that correct? Both yeah. 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 Nice. Where whereabouts are you? 
I, I'm doing it differently this year. So I went two, three years ago and sat in cops. Nice. Um, this year I'm going general, so I'm free roaming. Nice. So it's going to be a little bit different, but I, I, I personally think it's going to allow me to do a little bit more creative content. Okay, yeah, fair enough. So do a bit of roaming, do a bit of content creating and stuff like that while I'm out there. Um, just see where the day takes us. I'll probably end up getting up at like two o'clock in the morning to sit on some bank <laughs> to, to save me spot, but it is what it is. It's got to be done. It's terrible. See, I'm completely different to Matt because there's no way I'm camping. I'm going down for race day, on cops, job done, get out of the race afterwards. That's it. Um, you know, I, 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 nah, I can't go pitching a piece of grass at two o'clock in the morning. It's, you know, not my thing at all, but I'll be honest, I'll be honest, I'm going to struggle because I don't do camping. So, (laughs) yeah, best best of luck with that. Yeah, so while Matt's three days in the the tent, I'm just going to rock up after a nice shower in the morning, nice breakfast, cost on the way down. Thanks, Um, buddy. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll be up and see how it's going, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I I remember, like, so Ash and I bought general admission for Austria, and um, that was uh, interesting, wasn't it? Wasn't it, Ash? Uh, I'm not going back to general again. <laughs> I've done my general experience. I've done the grandstand, and I know which one I prefer. Yeah, we were completely gassed by orange smoke, um, and it was ridiculously hot as well. And although we took camping chairs, half the time there was nowhere to put them because people had literally been there since like like three in the morning just just waiting to to get the perfect seat it was absolutely mad um but also like kind of fair play i guess if that's what you want to do um but no no thanks um i'm going this year and i bought a seat i'm not messing around with general admission again i can't it just yeah i can't so best of luck in general admission Uh, (laughs) I, i wish you the best of luck um, we'll we'll come back fun. to that one. Uh, <laughs> before you your tickets. <laughs> well, I've done seating. I've, I've been there. I've done seating before. Um, I just didn't think it was. I don't think you get truly connected to the racing. You don't. You, you know, whether it was cops or or what. I just didn't feel that it was the atmosphere was there, so to speak, at Silverstone. So I just thought I'd do something a little bit different this time year around, and it's cheaper. So. It's a win-win. Yeah, it is quite a bit cheaper as well, isn't it? Like compared to compared to seats. Oh yes. Yeah. Because yeah, 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 definitely. You know, I, I sold a kidney. I bought a ticket for my dad for a Christmas present. <laughs> and, you know, banks will not recover. <laughs> yeah. How how easy was it to get tickets? Because it usually sells out like it, a few, it was, few weeks after the previous race. It was the most stressful thing I've ever done in my life. Um, <laughs> So I went on on I went on on the Thursday they went live was on for about two and a half hours literally looking at the clock to do the school run got booted off while I was in the queue then they just did the old shut it down we'll be back at tomorrow yeah so went back at the following day literally had it on laptop phone trying trying to get it on got through by the time I got through the price had completely changed from what where I clicked on to go into the seat had completely changed from where I got into I was left with literally there's two seats here. You know, do you want them or not? And that was it. And I was kind of like, oh, if I don't take them, I ain't going to get a tick, am I? So (laughs) they're massively inflated, massively not where I wanted to go from an initial choice. But if I click off this now and say no, I'm 
fearful that I ain't going to get back in here, so I just kind of took them, which I think a lot of people probably did at the same time. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, I I had a like uh, I have a gamble. I bought I bought a ticket through like a like a partner, essentially like a like a not like a like a reseller scalping sort of thing, like an actual like ticket distributor. And I'm on national pit straights, but I have no idea where my seat is. Like I could be hot behind the biggest post in the world. I have no idea. Um, You'll be on the screen. I'm literally going to turn up on the day and go, "Ha, huh, this seat is," and then see how it goes. Um, so hopefully it's not terrible. Um, but um, yeah, I, mine, mine wasn't as bad as yours, Terry. To be honest, I mean, between me and, and another work colleague that obviously we've, uh, we were both on the website at the same time, and he went, "I've got three in the basket." I went. Get it done now, done, and that was it. Easy, yeah. Is, is that because you clicked on general emission? Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah. Really, yeah. But even they sold out like like hotcakes. Literally, they were just going and going and going, weren't they? That's probably because yeah. people didn't realise they were buying it. They're in the way it was out on the tickets. They probably clicked on it. Went, where's my Where's my seat at the end of it? Yeah. <laughs> on that patch of grass over there on that yeah. hill. <laughs> But going back to it, I did have to think about my dad as well going through the first Grand Prix. I didn't think, you know, selling him the idea of turning up with a couple of couple of camping chairs and the pitch of grass was probably the best way to give him his first Formula One experience as, as a live racer. I thought best place safe to get the grandstand as well. He'd have loved it. <laughs> <laughs> he would have. He'd have loved it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure he would have loved the 2 a.m. wake up call. Like, come on, let me go. <laughs> wake up call, you would have still been going. So, unfortunately, like, uh, Silverstone isn't one of the next circuits coming up in this triple header, but we have Imola, Monaco, and Spain coming up. Uh, I think, I think moving on, like Imola is going to be reasonably interesting because I know a lot of teams are bringing are bringing upgrades to to Imola, and I think it's like Mercedes in in particular have got like essentially a completely new concept coming. I guess similar to McLaren's sort of upgrade that they had in Baku. Um, I don't know how well it's going to go though. And I think that also FPs won't tell us anything. Like Merck were top of FP two over Miami over the weekend in Miami was it two or one I can't remember yeah it's one of them yeah yeah and then and then they completely fell apart during the race well I say completely fell apart but they didn't end up p1 and two um but uh it's gonna it's gonna be interesting for sure um and as far as I can work out there's a chance a decent chance of rain on Sunday so yeah it's it's raining all this week in Imola yeah and there's a medium chance of rain on Sunday yeah um, which gets us all excited, but come Sunday, you know it's not going to rain, do you? No, it, it'll be yeah. the driest day in the world. <laughs> it'll be in the morning. Every yeah. Time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. I think I think with that with that race, it's going to be interesting to see, because I know obviously a lot of teams are going to come with upgrades. It's going to be interesting to see how how the grid actually looks, to be completely honest, um, especially with, with rain. Plus, we get F2 and F3 back this weekend, which is good. Um, I don't know if either of you pay much attention to F2 or F3 at all. Um, I've, I pay attention to see what they're doing with the runs and stuff. I don't take the times into into sort of gospel because it depends on what they're running, what what programs they're going through. Um, but I think you know you're right to touch on terms of upgrades. A lot of teams, this is their first time to bring a big upgrade package because of it being the first European race. 
So even with Miami after the, the break we had, it's still a flyaway race and getting parts over there in the current cost cap climate isn't the easiest. So I think a lot of teams have deliberately shelved some development, putting it back onto this weekend. So, you know, Alpha Tower are bringing a new floor. Um, you've got the new floors on McLaren. Mercedes are bringing three quarters of a new car, yeah. pretty much. So, yeah, I think we'll be seeing a lot of a lot of upgrades arriving. And we've also got the new qualifying rules this time around as well. So that's going to make it a little bit more interesting with the, the mandatory tyre selection. So, yeah, I think it could could throw some stuff into the water. Yeah, absolutely. It, it could be complete chaos. I mean, hopefully it kind of is because it makes it more interesting. But at the same time, like nothing ridiculous, like nothing dangerous, hopefully not. Um, but um, I think... I mean. Sorry, go on. The Ash. big thing, sorry, the big thing is Mercedes' upgrades. Yeah. And you've got yeah. all sides of the spectrum where you've got saying it's a start of an upgrade process. Don't expect us to be up there challenging for podiums. And then you've got the other side, which is it's a really big upgrade and we are going to make a big step and it's going to be the next in a series of upgrades. What do you honestly think? Do you think that they do have something in mind and this is the start of their season? And if it doesn't work and the car is the same, or God forbid it goes backwards, do they abandon this year and say, right, we just have to look at next year now? And do you think that then plays on the mind of someone like Lewis Hamilton? It's like, look, I'm running out of time to get my eighth. He could pretty much walk into any team if there is a seat open. I might think he could go to Ferrari. Do you think he's like, look, it's been two years. We're not making any progress. If anything kind of goes backwards with Aston coming forward, what, what, does, what do Mercedes do? I, I happen to think, so just briefly on the Lewis situation, I don't see Lewis going anywhere. I, I think he's going to sign another two-year deal and that will see him stay at Mercedes. I think there's there's too many ties between Merck and Lewis, um, not just as a driver. There's so much that goes on beyond the scenes between them, them pair. It's unbelievable. Um, in terms of the Merck itself, they have got a massive, massive upgrade package coming this weekend. Um, there's going to be a, quite a few shot faces. So I've been told or reliably informed, and I won't go into that anymore. Um, my my feeling on it is, though, it's not going to be enough to catch that ripple. So we've got fans out there that are going, oh, brilliant, they're going to bolt a set of side pods on and this, that, and the other, and they're going to be on the back of the gearbox of the ripple. It, it just, in reality, it's just not going to happen. No. But it is a good starting point that will take them through to the end of this season. So you never know what's going to happen with when Red Bull's penalty kicks in um, towards the end of the season. They might get a little bit closer then, but I think they'll be planning on next season primarily with this major upgrade. So do you see 2023? As... Yeah. If, if, you're being, if you're being real, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm sitting here now hoping that they're going to bolt on these upgrades and it's going to go <laughs> bam and we're away. But so, no. so, do you think internally in the team, 2023 is the testing season? For yeah. So, so, me and Terry, have, me and Terry have discussed this quite a lot on the podcast previously. Um, in terms of the W13, I think they've just gone down a rabbit hole, and a little bit of stubbornness has crept in with the hierarchy at Mercedes, and they've kind of gone. We've, we've chosen this platform. We've chosen this idea to go down. It's not working, but we're going to make it work. And I think they've now got to the point where they've just got that realisation that we know this isn't going to work. So, But I think they knew that at the start of the season. 
I think they, I think they always knew that at the start of the season, but they were going to continue with it in the plan to bring this, as as we call it, a B spec car. It's it's for me it's slightly different because we know the Mercedes is greatly changed, so we know what parts are coming on it. And like Matt said, it's going to be a very different car. Um, you're talking about the only sort of things that are going to be the same is going to be the chassis it's bolted on and the rear suspension, pretty much, and obviously the engine and gearbox. Apart from that, the rest of it is brand new, which is you know, literally everything on it bodywork, front wing, back wing, front suspension, the whole works is, is being bolted on for it. But for them, it's about that base platform. So the W14, as it currently is, has got limitations and they know. Ultimately, you can't win a championship, no matter how much you develop that car. Like Matt said, went down a rabbit hole. And no matter how much development you put into it, it ain't going to catch the Red Bull at all. So the the come back to the baseline now, the baseline, this current spec they're rolling out in Imola is going to be greatly different. Performance will probably be the same, as in being the third fastest car on the grid, you know, chucking about with the Astons and the Ferraris. But the scope to develop it further is massive. Now, a lot of people are saying about this season, if they get it right, second place is game on. And Mercedes will develop the hell out of this car knowing it's the right concept. So I personally think that it's their do or die for this season. If they've got it wrong, they're they're in big trouble, if I'm honest. They're they're in no coming back from it this year. Yeah, if they roll out this spec, the amount of money, the amount of investment, what they've rolled onto this, if it doesn't work, they're they're in huge trouble. And They've, they've lost the whole season and they've got to actually horrible. That's how big this is for them. But likewise, if they've got a car that can extract performance and start set there, and we talked about it before, yeah, Mercedes has been too too reactive and not proactive. They can't set up the car. They're going track by track. They can't lower the downforce. They can't hone in on the ride highs. This whole thing about giving them a stable platform so they can start doing that and then you can bring the upgrades to it. So, they won't want Aston Martin to beat them. They won't want a customer team beating them second place at all with the same engine, you know, same suspension, same gearbox. So they're fully focused. I think that if this works, they expect to fight for second place, which will naturally get them towards first place anyway. Yeah. So I think that's that's what we got to remember that if this is right and the wind tunnel correlation is right, because that's what all this is about, is about getting getting the data matched. So they know if they've got that right, which they didn't have last year. They know that the upgrades they're bringing actually work, and they work on the track because last year the wind tunnel was handing them different data to what the what the car was handing them on track, and that's where they got caught out, you know, completely with all of the upgrades. I think the 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 important thing round for this time for Mercedes is though is they've already got a baseline, so they can already see the Aston. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the Aston shares a lot of similarities to to the Mercedes itself, so they've already got that. Should we say test dummy car out there? So I, I don't feel like they're going to go dramatically backwards, and I'm hoping they don't <laughs> at the same time. But I think the only issue for me over this weekend, I think it regardless, I think they'll still be the like third, like at worst case fourth fastest car. They're not all of a sudden going to get lapped by the Alpha Tauris essentially. Um, but my only concern really is as as you as you sort of said, Terry, is that they're changing like so many elements it might maybe even bring reliability into it if you've never tested all of these elements all at once with each other at the same time on a proper track i mean look at like it's essentially a test weekend for them so reliability reliability could be a huge factor as to where they actually finish in in the races like over the weekend um that's my only concern but other than that like if they get reliable data out of it 
and can then come back to let's be honest monaco's a free hit for 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 them but if they come back to spain with two weekends under their belt of proper testing and making sure that everything's right who knows the other thing you've got to remember as well is there's a couple of things. So there is no there is no sort of mix of the match in the cars for women. Yeah. It's they're both B spec fully kitted cars. They can't do a comparison. They've already missed it. The changes are too big. So they, they've said that they're both being rolled out FP1 with the new spec as such. Also, Barcelona is the ultimate test track for the mm. teams. If you're asking any team where they want to do testing, it's Barcelona. They wouldn't want to go to a Bahrain at all. Because Barcelona gives them so much data. It's got so much around the high speeds, the low speeds, the drags, the downfalls. They love Barcelona for data. So having that package in place for Barcelona almost is going to be like a mini test for them. You know, going back to what you're saying, in Barcelona. So Monaco, like you say, get a, get a good qualifying result. You can park any car at the front, as we discussed earlier. You yeah. know, if you can get that car on pole or even on the front row, You've got a good chance in Monaco, haven't you? So this this one's about, like you say, reliability, get the parts on the car, get out on track. Monaco's about actually, you know, we just do Monaco and see where, where we shake out like they've done for the first five races. Yeah. Barcelona is all around. If the wind tunnels told us what it needed to do from Imola, then actually so much data from those 50-odd laps that you're going to get around Barcelona is going to be like a full one. What, what do you think is more important to Mercedes? Going for second and getting the prize money? Or kind of admitting we're not there yet. We're going to push every race, but the wind tunnel time for being lower down in the championship is more important to us for next I, year. I think Mercedes want to win. I think they want. I think they the prize money is irrelevant now with the cost cap in place. You know, they're they're financially secure. The top yeah. teams, the prize money is irrelevant to the top teams now because of the cost cap. So I think from Mercedes' point of view, they want to show progress, but they want to they want to win on merit, and we're not just talking about the one race like they had in Brazil. They want to be. They want to be closing the gap, competing, and getting the drivers on the top step so they can say, actually, we're back in this game now. I think that's more important than the winter or than anything. And like I say, they, they won't want to be beaten by a customer car at all. That's not. No, I mean, me and Terry are fortunate a couple of weeks ago. We did a, um, a tour of Mercedes. Oh, nice. Um, we had some really meaningful conversations with certain members of staff there as well. So it, and it, it opened our eyes up and it got us thinking about how different teams are, you know, and a comparison me and Terry made, for example, that look at Valtteri Bottas under Mercedes. Yeah. Now look at Valtteri Bottas out of Mercedes. So it's, it's a bigger brand. Mercedes have got this bigger brand image and you have to fit in with that image. And that, that's the same as the championship. It, it's, it's win or nothing. But I think this year will be, as Terry alluded to, I think it will be pushing for that second place because, I mean, we can all face facts that the first is, is out of the realms. But another good thing you've got to, to mention as well is the season's so long now. Yeah. There's so many races still left in this season. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So, who knows? Yeah. I mean, we still have 20 races. <laughs> 21, technically. Which is and, insane, and I say Red, Red Bull's penalty is going to hit them. Yeah, people is people are saying it's not. It will because it will either impact on their development this year, or it will certainly impact on how much they put into next year. At some point, they've got to make that call over when they switch development. And if you've got a Mercedes that's starting to breathe down your neck a bit, and even an Aston Martin that's breathing down your neck, at what point do you make that that change? At what point do you do it and go? Do you know what? We need to switch to next year. We're not going to have the, the winter time. We're not going to have 
the opportunity to do it. So I think after around the summer break, that's going to be real interesting to what Red Bull start doing with upgrades with their cars and what they start doing. And people will mock what Christian Horner says, but he talks a lot about coming out and getting points early and banking them. Mm. Yeah, he knows. Talks a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you can read between lines with a lot of his comments and he's worried about Mercedes being fair place and having extra development time because bear in mind last year they finished third. So actually already developing the hell out of their car can help them because they've got that extra time already. So compared to a penalty stricken Red Bull and what they've done this year, they haven't actually brought any upgrades to the track in, in five races. It's shocking when you see what they've been coping with. It's literally bolted back together parts, not even a new rear wing. They've been shaving bits off. They've been cost-effective cost on everything they've done ready for this. So that means they've still got the money in the bank. They've still got the wind tunnel time in the bank. So even though it's a big package, for them, it's almost like pre-season. Yeah. Um, sorry, go on. One of, the, one of the big things to come out of this triple header, apart from Mercedes' upgrade, is Aston, or namely Fernando's chances at winning a race uh, with the high downforce. Do you think he realistically has a chance at winning at Imola, Spain, or Monaco? Um, I know he mentioned Singapore as another race where they could be in a chance. And what are your thoughts on the development they've made from last year to this year? The additional wind tunnel time and Dan Fallows and his team and the drive that Lawrence Stroll has. Do they have a car next year that you think can challenge or do you think they're still maybe one or two seasons away from being a team that consistently challenges for P1? Do you want to go to Mass or do you want me to go? Do, do you know what, right? It, it's one of the things with Aston. We praise Aston so much. Yeah. And Aston Martin have got so much right in the past few years. But I think you have to also take this back to Seb's, Seb's Ryan at Aston as well. And a lot of people overlook that because there's so, there's so much that that guy would have done for this team and getting it into place where it is now. Um, I just, I think it's really unfair that it gets overlooked, but me and Terry talk on the point that the, you know, Lawrence Stroll's always had this, this five-year plan um, and they're actually ahead of the curve now, aren't they? And they've still got so much more to come as well. You know, when they opened the new base at Silverstone, I mean, we, we had the privilege of looking at it. We haven't been in it yet. Yet. I say yet. <laughs> Aston, Aston, if you are watching. Um, <laughs> Nobody but even just just the grand size of it, the sheer size of that building and how everything's all going to be on one floor. Um, again, you know, when we went to Mercedes, you kind of underestimate that um, there was one of the parts, guys weren't there, Terry, that said something as stupid as putting a bit of tape on a part that then goes to the next department and then that guy's saying, well, why have you put a bit of tape on it? Oh, I've now got to spend time getting that tape off. Whereas I know that sounds silly to say, but when it's all on one floor... You can just shout over to that guy, oh, I've done this, blah, blah, blah. And it just makes everything of that little bit. And that's, we're talking at the low end of the scale. So imagine what that's like at the upper end of the scale and that's going to do for Aston. But yeah, I've, I think there's there's some good times coming for Aston Martin. I really, really do. Yeah, I mean, they, they've done it the right way. I mean, don't underestimate, you know, I think you said about Lawrence Lawrence's input, you know, he's made a massive input in, into that, you know, the investment he's made, but also he's made some key decisions at some right time. So, Taking Red Bull to court to get Dan Fallows early was, you know, an absolute masterstroke for him in terms of their development. You know, for, to win that case for him was literally the 
the golden bullet search for for their development and what they've done. I mean, they've they've made the biggest strides without a shadow of a doubt. I think they're still, like say, one or two years away from competing at the top. Um, I think there'd be a lot of teams trying to close that gap quite quick. And I suppose the argument is if they've managed to do it in the cost cap climate in a year, then actually, what's to say that someone else can't do that same gap in a year, which is what I think everyone's hoping for. Um, the new factory is just awesome, you know, £240 billion, pounds, all, all of it. New wind tunnel comes in next year. It's it's a massive project for them. could only be better for them. And they've always been good all season, though. You know, I went to the car launch where they had the fan event in London, and they were talking at this car at the beginning of the season before we even hit the track. And they, they were confident it was going to do what it was going to do. And, you know, they, they've known this from, from the off. And they've got some big upgrades coming. They've got a rear wing where they think they've unlocked the Red Bull star of DRS, which they actually brought to Miami. And they, they think they've found out what it is that's creating that extra speed on the DRS. And if they found that, and it is Royce, bolting that onto that car, which has been solid all season, yeah. again, is going to trouble Mercedes, but also might just bring him back into play a bit. I think Fernando's definitely got a race winning in this season somewhere along the line. Um, whether it be Imola, Monaco, you know, I'm not too sure, but Matt was Silverstone is his hot bet. Silverstone. I, Watch I'm, this space. I'm betting hungry. Yeah. Mercedes were good there last year, weren't they, to be fair? Mm. Yeah, I'm, th- I'm purely thinking Hungary based on there's always some random winner at Hungary pretty much every single time. So. <laughs> but then you could probably say the same with Monaco. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think Monaco is his best chance out of the next three races. But I, th- I think that overall, I think Hungary will be very, very interesting to see like whether or not Alonso does manage to put it, put it P1. We'll it's interesting what, Terry, interesting what Terry said about the rear window because apparently Mercedes have uh, cottoned onto that now as well. Yeah. Um, and now I'll be looking to bring similar, was it Texas? Yeah, said it was... even, even before, to be honest, they're, they're thinking, you know, even a couple of races before. So it seems that, you know, we, we joked about the other day with Checo going into the gravel in Australia um, was actually a blessing for all the other teams because they had to crane the car out. And, you know, they probably got yeah. to see what was underneath that Red Bull for the first time. So, yeah, it's as daft as it sounds. We know they hire all the photographers to have a look and and actually, you know, delve into what it is. But craning that one out of qualifying has probably been the best thing for the teams that's happened, you know. So it, it's no coincidence that we're now starting to see a lot of teams suddenly go, oh, we figured out how to do it on the back of it. Yeah, I think it's connecting the, the floor to the rear wing and like getting some sort of airflow right is is the secret to it to be completely honest and it's it's going to be interesting to see like how quickly other teams catch on as well for sure i saw a picture the other day i don't know if you saw them out of the of the um the flow paint on the rb19 and it's, it's unbelievable got, it's just there's no yeah it's just exactly it's like perfect part of the bodywork. it's perfect yeah there's literally <laughs> nothing nothing going anywhere and that, I reckon right. they painted it on by hand, though, to yeah, be honest. Maybe, yeah, maybe, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just looked like it. It just looked yeah. like it literally just got on and, and just painted it in between the lines. It's that good for what they've done. And we keep saying it's not about one thing. It's not about a new rear wing. It's not about one part. It's how they've got the whole car working together with that floor. And, you know, going back to Red Bull, they did upgrade their floor in Baku, which kind of slid under the radar a bit. Mm. They even brought an upgrade to their floor. They brought new floor edges, new floor fence to it. So even they're taking that that little bit, that little bit step further, and that went into the radar a bit in terms of an upgrade. But they snuck that one in. So yeah, it's bringing the car together holistically, and I think that it's it's insane that like 
essentially Adrian Newey is a cheat code. There's no other way around it. And yeah. you can see that every single week, literally every single week. Um, and especially with like the, I know obviously we talked about, you know, Christian obviously saying let's bank points early and like, you know, don't count your chickens or like towards like, you know, winning the championship, especially constructors. Um, but like seeing, seeing the, um, the fact that they're going to be bringing their engines in house as well as of 2026, Adrian New has never been part of that process ever. He's never been part of a team where they've developed engines and, the the rest of the car itself. I know technically it's Ford, but I mean, you know, um, it's going to be interesting to see how that relationship sort of goes as well, because he will have oversight of pretty much everything, which is mad to think about. Like he's never had that opportunity. It could go horribly no. wrong. You never know. But... He's been quite limited in terms of engines. That was when the big four announced they had, they had with Renault. The mm. Renault refused to design an engine that fitted the Red Bull, and Adrian had to compromise the car to fit the engine in. Yeah, and you know, same when Honda first come on board. That they had the same challenges, the same problems. So bringing it in house will for sure. Or type, I'm not too sure yet how much input Ford's going to have. It seems to be a bit varying. At first, it was only a few components. Now it kind of feels like there might be a lot more going on. To be honest, with the Ford type, it's certainly being made a big deal. Um, it's being made to be a bit more than a few elect- electrical components that we thought it was originally. I'd say looking at the fact. The signs have already changed at Milton Keynes, all yeah. the advertising that's gone with it. Um, the stuff that I know Dan has been doing in America with Ford. Mm. The fact that they had they had Ford on the grid at Miami rather than someone to do a Honda. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be a real interesting change of regulations, like I say, to build a car which they can build around their own engine and be in charge of their own future, their own development is, is quite scary for it, if I'm honest. It's massive. It, it really is massive. Um Going back very slightly as well, you touched on it, and I did actually want to want to ask about it. You you obviously both went to Mercedes a couple of weeks ago. How on earth did did that come about? Um, we were we were just invited down, so we you know we can't talk about what we saw. For oh obviously. yeah, no, that's not, that's not what I'm asking at all. Um, I'm just I'm just on the phone to Christian right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> If, if I get a Red Bull one, then we know that Christian wants to put us under a bright light somewhere. <laughs> what did you see? Yeah, but no, we, we just we were just asked if we wanted to go and see, you know, what goes on, what how the cars come come together, nice. what's involved in it, more of a more of a broadening our horizons as you know, two people who actually contribute to a Formula One community. So, yeah, we've been quite fortunate that you know we've managed to talk to people over the past twelve months. Um, People who are in the sport, people out the sport, and yeah, we we have made some some friendships with a lot of people um, that you can't publicise because of the job they do. But yeah, actually, are really great for sounding boards and having conversations with, and it works on a. I'd say it's a a transactional relationship, but a really good relationship where they know they can trust you with certain information. Yeah. You know, you can, and they know that you're not going to break that trust and create problems for them, which no one wants to see at the end of the day. But then, likewise, you can get some really valuable insight and information which gets lost in the press a lot of the time i'll probably say the best way to describe it is yeah it? Because, yeah it kind of gives you a good steer on what's going on and it gives you a good good direction and a vibe of what's happening with some of the teams and it's it's nice to know they feel they can reach out and it's very it's very frustrating at the same time though because you, you can be very frustrating at the same time yeah you'll get you'll get certain bits of information and you think oh I just I just want to scream it I just want to scream it but you can't obviously obviously because of that like Terry said without mutual respect between the two parties you just you just you just can't yeah of course you you mentioned the tape story um 
having a pet safe on and then it goes to someone else and watch for the team. What did you learn from visiting the factory that people were like, if you understood this, you'd be a bit nicer to the engineers or the teams or the, based on how <laughs> the, the way they are is. with the cross cap. And, and oh, yeah. what we haven't found, and I'm sure Matt touched on this, right, is we, we as you know, Fallen One fans, we never discussed the impact the cross caps had on the staff. So before they could move teams, they could command higher salaries, they could literally, all of these things. What, what the cost cap has done is actually it's, it's stumped their earning potential. It's stopped them being able to move teams freely in terms of garden leave and promotion and hire up money. It's, it's hit them really hard. And for Formula One being the pinnacle of motor racing, to know that staff actually are financially impacted on the cost cap and not being paid probably what they deserve to be for working as hard as they are and they're working longer hours for less money. So I think the thing we, we learned was that there needs to be, I think, a lot more respect for what they do and that they're working really hard to bring these up, but they can't because they've got their hands tied by a cost cap. And as fans, we don't really appreciate that. We expect them to turn up at the next race and go, right, you're going to catch Red Bull, you're going to catch Aston Martin, but it's not going to happen in, in this era of cost cap. But I think that's probably my biggest take on it. What about you, man? Exactly. I echo what Terry's just said. You know, we're having some good conversations in terms of it stumps the growth of a colleague. And and we as outsiders just looked at it as a sport and you, you kind of take, you don't take that context out of it. So it was actually good to have them conversations and like Terry's just touched on there. Um, people not able to move the departments, they're not able to get that career growth that they once had. You know, there's there's... X amount of people that have left a certain team and gone to another certain team and, and that's because they physically cannot move in that complex. Yeah. Do you think that's something that F1 should relook at in the cost cap rules? Is 100%. You yeah, I, I, I think the way you included. I, you know, I'm all for a cost cap for car development and all for yeah. that way. But I think how you run a team, you know, it seems crazy to me that here we are talking about people who build a car are under a cost cap yeah, you've got a marketing team, you've got an unlimited cost cap budget where it's not even included. So yeah. to put a show car on because it suits Formula One doesn't come into your cost cap. Yet to, to give someone a better pay grade who potentially builds a chassis in your car, yeah. that comes into your cost cap. That to me is just crazy. And you know, you either go all in and put everything under it and let the teams dictate what they do, or you say, Joe you know what, your cost cap is car development, it's on parts, it's on it's on, you know, that side of it, not, and, and even how much you spend on labour to accept, but not in terms of wages and, and capital. That's where I feel it's gone too far. Yeah, I, I joke, but it even comes down to catering, which is just, it, it's insane, like how strict it, it really can be. Um, and I mean, Ash and I talked about it before, but there are some teams who have found certain, potentially found certain ways around certain rules by setting up like, like the, the what was it called ash it was like aston so, martin so, some technologies of the big teams or... have like red bull technologies yeah. aston martin technologies yeah. where i think Otma alluded to it like a couple of months back that they might be hiding costs in these kind of sub entities because yeah. i know martin whitmash sees over oversees everything at aston formula one and he could say oh well if we develop a car with this you know ers unit we can kind of use that as development for the aston car and then kind of plug and play and there's a worry that some of the big teams are hiding costs elsewhere with these additional technology companies that they've created. 
Yeah, I mean, we've we've talked about, if you look at all the top teams, they, they've had a road car project running alongside, haven't they? So there's no no surprise that all of the top teams have been doing this. And they probably, they've been doing it for years, to be honest, in yeah. terms of development of technology. But like you say, it's a very simplistic way of hiding it or saying, you know, Mercedes did it with with James Allison, where he went to work on Ineos. He was still employed by Mercedes, part of his contract, but also went to work on the Ineos Road Project. Now, to me, that's because they're offsetting costs as well, yeah. as well as a personal thing for him. But you can guarantee they would have been billable hours somewhere where they went to the FI and said, actually, three days a week he's working on the Road Project, so he's not being paid for that. So therefore, yeah, we're not using him. Yet when he comes back, that knowledge is still there from working on the Ineos Road Project, which is, you know, in the same building. You've got... You've got Aston Martin, you've got Red Bull, all the top teams do it to an extent where, you know, Asian we worked on the Valkyrie project. And that's where they, they're talking of the carbon fibre come from for the Red Bull with the weave carbon fibre. Yeah. That it comes from that project, which they own rights to. Um, we go back to Red Bull, Adrian Newey works for a consultancy firm employed by Red Bull. I mean, how crazy that we we sit discussing where Adrian Newey himself isn't technically a Red Bull employee, he's a he's a contractor. So again, it will be. I think that just sums up F1 in general, though, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. F1 in general has got a rule book. A team will find a loophole around yeah. a certain rule, and then the next season will rewrite that rule to stop the rule being uh, over, yeah. overlooked. But then the problem is the problem is, and we've said this time and time again, Terry, haven't we? Where does it end? Yeah. Where Where do you physically stop with that? Because you can't just keep going. Writing rules upon rules upon rules upon rules upon rules. But it's it's going to have to start somewhere, isn't it? But the thing about cost cap as well, the other interesting thing is, what's it actually protecting? Because ultimately, the cost cap was designed to protect smaller teams from going out of business. But no other sport does it. No other major sport. Does it. No other sport. To, there's a, an extent with teams like NFL and obviously you know Premier League. With budget, but in terms of football and things like that, it's like it's like turning around to your competitors and saying you can only spend this much on on your what you're doing and if you put it into real day terms you've got like a supermarket so i walk into your rival supermarket and saying you can't spend that much on on your shop you can only spend this much now because yeah. that's what the lowest has got and formula one needs there's more money in formula one now than there ever has been yeah, yeah they're commercially they're commercially the, the soundest they've ever been with all of the growth they're seeing and that's not down to cost cap that's down to all the new sponsors all of the new you know Drive to Survive fame, all of these things they've got. And surely a team would be better. Surely FIA would be better in F1 saying, here's a pot of money, which you all put into. And do you know what? If you're about to go to the wall, you have to apply for that and pay that back at an interest-rated loan to stop you going to the wall rather than letting them go to the wall. So you can always set up like a parachute to say, if you are in trouble, you come to us before you go bust. So- and the teams agree on it. So I guess it would almost be like where, so financial fair play in football, you can only lose a certain amount of money per year. And it's like the equivalent to like 93 million over three years or whatever it is. I can't remember exactly. You can only lose 37 million a year on average or whatever it is. I don't know. Um, But you saying... And you can only spend the money that you earn. Yes. So you saying maybe that might be a better approach towards cost cap sort of style thing. Because ultimately you've got, yes, you are in a business, but I think, yeah, we talk about closer racing. Mm. The top teams, Aston Martin, Mercedes, they would have shut that gap on Red Bull by now with no cost cap. Yeah. 
they would have worked overtime. They would have brought the best people in. They would have shut the wages there. Yeah. They would have literally developed around the clock to shut that down on the ball. And we would have closer races and better action on track. Yeah. And yes, the gap might be bigger to the smaller teams, admittedly, but also that's part of being in Formula One. Yeah, you know, you've got to start somewhere and build yourself up. You know, Red Bull, when they came in, wasn't a massive team. They built themselves up to the, the power they are. You know, Christian Horn's done a great job of building them up to that. Yeah. Granted, Red Bull was a phenomenal investor. But actually, when they come in, when they took over Stuart Racing, they weren't a big, big team they took over. And when they come into, into Formula One, they found a big investor. But you've got lots of Williams who in the past were massive, you know, massive Formula One team who are struggling now. McLaren, look, look where they are. Yeah, and I'm sure McLaren, sponsorship-wise, that brand did a great job of getting balance in the book for McLaren in terms of where they are now financially. He could quite easily probably open up a lot more. And it's interesting that they've pumped it into other Formula businesses like IndyCar, Extreme yeah. Formula E, because, is that because, do you know what, it's surplus money that he can't spend on the Formula 1 team, whereas would he have diverged that much if he could have? It's it's interesting as well when you mentioned McLaren as a uh, as a specific example um, because like I think the only the only other sport where they may be done worse than they had done previously is Formula E and I think that's different because it's completely new regulations and also technically it wasn't them it was technically Mercedes and they bought the team etc cetera, etc cetera. but now so far during the seasons of the of the like races that they're actually part of IndyCar. Um, and then Extreme E and stuff like that. They're all doing better than they were last year. Yeah. Funny that. And there's no cost cap in, in, in those sports. It's very interesting. Just off the top of my head. The biggest gripe that I've got with the cost cap is it, we all understand the reason it was brought in. We all appreciate the reason that it's there. But it's almost like you've now brought a cost cap in, but certain teams have already got a head start upon yeah. everyone else anyway. So is, is it fair? No. Yeah. I mean... So yeah. it's... We've discussed Aston Martin. So Aston Martin, for example, the, the new factory was is built outside of the cost cap. Yeah. So it was agreed before the cost cap came into place, delayed due to COVID, various other reasons. So yeah. it's not a, it's not a cost cap expenditure. But when it opens, you've got a purpose built wind tunnel, you've got a state of the art building, state of the art computer system, state of the art working factory, all of it built outside the cost cap. Now, if you're someone like Williams who wants to upgrade their computer systems, you that could become part of a cost cap payment so that's not fair and you know there's there, there was no baseline to say right you're here you're now here it was just like here's your cost cap here you go mm. and again you know should we have facilities as part of a cost cap or actually should a team be able to spend what they want on facilities what they want you know if a team wants to buy their team sandwiches and pay for their dinner do you know what it don't bother me yeah <laughs> you know yeah. and yeah if, if you're telling me that actually that's you have to shut these bits off. It just seems crazy that all these factors make it into this cost cap, and then you have all these conclusions, you know, powertrains are separate. So you can, you can make five engines, and it's not part of your cost cap, but you can order, order a Greg's, and it is. Yeah, or, you've, you've summed that up really well. Uh, yeah. you, know, you pit staff who have worked overtime, if you reward them or you give them a bonus or some overtime, it's, it's you know, it's in your cost cap. But actually, if I want to send the car down, down Las Vegas Strip, as we discussed, that's free of charge. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's uh, it could use some tweaking, let's say. Definitely, <laughs> it, that, yeah. that, that's underplaying it. Yeah, well, <laughs> not not entirely wrong. Uh, but uh, we we have actually been chatting now for an hour and fifteen minutes. 
Wow. Um, and it seems to have flown by, although it's gradually got darker and darker in the background for me. Uh, but um, I guess uh, something as well we always look forward to, obviously because it is race week, do we have any predictions for Imola? Obviously, coming up this weekend. Any predictions whatsoever in terms of podium or race winner or anything? Can I, can I take the race winner? Because I think this is going to be about the easiest one. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I wonder who. <laughs> I'm going to be con- no, I'm not going to be controversial. We, we, it's going to be Max, isn't it? Yeah. There's, yeah. There's, you know, a combination of car and driver together. It doesn't matter what track you put, you put him on and that car on at the moment. It, it's going to be the way it is. Yeah. I'm going to go. Max Checo, and then I reckon Charles Leclerc's going to get the third spot. Okay. Matt, have you got a podium uh, in mind for the other two drivers? Should we start with Max or? I'm going to go Max Leclerc, Alonso. Okay. Max Leclerc, Alonso. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed uh, for, for Leclerc. Yeah, it just you need some luck, dinner. It needs some to go right. I, I want to see the Ferrari up, up amongst it. I mean, that's, yeah. been, that's been a big disappointment this season, to be honest. Yeah. Ash? Uh, I'm going to go Max Leclerc signs. I think with it being in Italy, Ferrari want to put on a show. Definitely. Yeah, I'm 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 thinking Max, then Checo, then Alonso. I'm just going for the to say, I don't know, it's, the most, it's the most boring answer in the world. But, that's what I mean, you're doing, it? It's it's just yeah, I, I've got a fifty percent chance of being bang on just by saying that. So that's what we go with to be completely honest with you. Um but uh yeah, I, I think that it will be you could even argue, I think fifty fifty chance you depending on how obviously the the Merc goes. There's a fifty percent chance that it could even be a Merc on the podium. You never know. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. The... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that is. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're all saying we're expecting it to be similar or maybe even step back. So who knows? You know, if you look at the gain Aston Martin had when they introduced their car in Bahrain, then potentially, you know, you could have the same one. But that's the thing. We we don't know yet. No, I think one thing we are underestimating, mm. like you said, Ferrari home race. Yeah. We already know the amount of pressure that Charles is under. Or oh, yeah, yeah. I think it's I'm just hoping this weekend doesn't add to that. But who knows? Yeah, I think it's ridiculous. Like, obviously, he's crashed more times in the last. It just purely this season compared to Mick, the entirety of last season. Like, that's like a worrying sort of statistic to have hanging over your head. And I know that, like. Obviously, Formula One drivers will, they read social media, they read newspapers, they read, well, maybe not newspapers, but you get my point. They they can read, most of them. Um, so, I mean, like, they will know, and that will be sat in his mind somewhere that, you know, he's crashed way too much. Maybe not that's that's that specifically, but it will be in his mind somewhere. So, hope, fingers crossed everything goes okay for Ferrari and especially Charles, but you just never know, literally never know. I think he's short on confidence. He looks like a driver who's short on confidence. He needs he needs some good results over these next three races. Yeah. Um, I kind of think Monaco is the big one for him. Mm. Yeah, with his whole race, we know what's happened there in the past with him there. I think, you know... I just think it's cursed. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. just, yeah, cursed. And then if he breaks that curse, what, what a lift that's got the potential to give to him. And over one lap, that Ferrari is just as good as the Red Bull over one lap to some degree. You know, it might not have the race pace, but in Monaco, going, going around there on one lap... I, I fancy them for that, if I'm honest, in terms of putting on a show there. And if he could keep out the wall, that is. But 
you know, he's, he's a driver who looks like he needs something after mm. all this season. Right, you've jeered me up now. Let's back in <laughs> some confidence. We're going, we're going, we're going for a Ferrari one two this weekend. <laughs> I'm changing. Oh, I'm on. changing my mind. I'm changing my mind. That's well, it. Now. Monaco, I'll go for a Ferrari once you. And then, uh, uh, speaking of putting it in the wall in Monaco, uh, Nick De Vries. Uh, very quickly, what do you think the situation is with with him? Obviously, there were some rumours over the over the last week. I guess about him being replaced within the next few races around, like, you know, even with Daniel Ricciardo, which I seem think spiraled out of control ridiculously. But um, just how much pressure is he under? I, personally, we, we know that Danny Rick isn't replacing him. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do think he's under pressure, go back to your point. I think the noise coming from... Well, I say Africa, it's coming from Red Bull, isn't it? It's coming yeah, from yeah, Hamilton yeah. Hamil Market, let's be honest about it. But, you know, talk of putting him on, I think when your videos back was talk of putting him on a yellow card. Um, yeah, not a red card. Yeah. Not a red card. That that in itself feels like a bit of a warning shot. Um, I think he needs some big performances. The floor upgrades is supposed to help him. It's probably not helping him that Yuki's, you know, in and around the points. And if Yuki starts converting that into actual points, with a new floor, I think Nick could be in trouble soon if he doesn't get a good performance. And there's plenty of people with Liam Lawson staffing at him who can take that seat off him. And I think the other one touched on probably Logan Sargent is probably going to be seeing it a bit. A lot yeah. of rumours this week about him as well. So, yeah. I think one key point that I want to bring up here, and it's something that we talk about quite a lot on the podcast, is mm. and it always gets overlooked on. New drivers in new teams, yeah, and how and how we just expect them to hit the ground running. Yeah. You know, we've seen the likes of Gasly before at Red Bull. We've seen Albon at Red Bull. Mm. Just to name a few. Now, I think both of them could have come really, really good at Red Bull had they given the time yeah. to get their feet under the table. And I'm one of these that I'm backing Nick to do exactly the same, but he's got to be given the time. You know, you can't just stick a driver in a brand new car, a brand new team around him, and go, "I want results." I understand where Red Bull are coming from. It's a results business. He, and unfortunately, he just doesn't happen that way. We we said the exact same thing like last week, week before. We said that you, I think that the Red Bull management of old, three or four years ago, he'd be gone already. But yeah. now the more mature Red Bull management, <laughs> maybe he'll see I'm, the way I'm interested, the season. I'm interested to see why you laughed when you said that. Just under new management, I guess. I guess I don't, I don't know. Maybe maybe they're sick and tired of being told that they've been drivers after like three laps. Type yeah. thing. I don't. I don't know. The more mature, maybe the I, correct decisions. Or I still I think know, there no was. Um, <clears throat> I still think there was talk of a sale, though. So I think you know at some point there was a sale talk, and yeah, and I think that plays into Alpha Tower's part. So I think they were exploring mm. the possibility. You know, I don't think it was a realistic one, but I think they were chucking out there to see who would be interested, who they might sell it to. And I think that is very... Their two drivers this season aren't classic Red Bull drivers. I know people say Yuki is, but he's a Honda-back driver. And Nick obviously come from Mercedes, so they're not traditional Red Bull junior drivers in that sense. So it was quite a surprise to see him go with that combination when there was a few others available. So maybe there's a bit of that in their partnership as well. I do have a bigger conspiracy on the old Danny uh, Rick situation. Mm, go on then. I think I've told you quite a few times, haven't I, Terry? What's that? You're not going to want him to go out to Alpha Tower and you're going to want him to sit there in the wing waiting in the background. Should Sergio Perez need replacement? 
Yeah, I mean, we we talked about is, but is this why Checo's getting sucked? Because it's like anything. If you've got someone standing over your shoulder who could do your job, yeah. even though in public, you, you know, very open about, you know, he's not there to take his seat. Checo knows he's got to perform. He's got this season and next season left yeah. in his contract. He knows that in order to keep that seat, he's going to have to perform. And if you've got that, that almost that spectre of Danny sat behind you, just sat there putting in the sim times, getting all this positive press, you know, you listen to Christian talk about him and, you know, he's almost race race ready. We've almost got him back to how we had him before. You, Like you say, drivers read stuff, they hear stuff, don't they? So, actually. But then you also chuck in the mix that Sergio has been given that time in that car. You right. could say he's now got his feet under the table. Like exactly. we, like yeah. we just touched on, touched on there with Nick and, and the like. I mean, he's been given longer than most Red Bull second drivers, hasn't he? Yeah, exactly. This new management... Under new man, <laughs> uh, wiser, older. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's the difference. Maybe they learned from, like you know, seeing seeing Albon do very well in a in a in a pretty bad Williams, like, and they've gone, oh, maybe we did mess up letting him go, and oh, uh, Pierre's won a race. Oh, hold on a minute. So you never know. I mean, I know obviously Pierre at the time that he won the race, he was obviously still part of the Red Bull family, I guess. But um, it does make you think that maybe they've seen the successes of their own other drivers. I mean, Carlos was a was a Red Bull driver at one point. Yeah. So I mean, there's there's that too. So maybe they're sort of seeing like, oh, maybe we are letting go of talent a little bit too early. Stick it out maybe half a season longer and and see what happens. Um, you never know. I also think it's due with the talent that's upcoming as well. You know, they they talked yeah. a lot about. Liam Lawson not being quite ready and almost wanting to avoid the Gazi Alban situation. Yeah. So maybe there's it's working both ways as well, where they're actually holding it back deliberately to give them more experience in the lower lower categories and build them up that way rather than promote them too early and in a car that isn't competitive. Or maybe they knew that the Alpha Tari wasn't going to be that competitive yeah. this year. So again, they're protecting a new driver, a new young driver by putting this combination they've currently got in knowing that their development is like it is. So. Yeah, could be absolutely bang on. Um, I think that it's... We, we Obviously, we don't fully understand exactly what goes on behind the scenes at every team at all. So, I mean, yeah, who knows? And it's sort of weird setup, isn't it, where they've... Where yeah. they, you know, Red Bull choose their drivers. You know, it's it still strikes me as... You, you've potentially got two teams, both opposite ends of the grid, clearly don't share development because if they do... Alpha Terry can't copy it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know, it's clear to me they don't share development of the car. They've got it. But then equally, they've got the same engines in there. And actually, how much do Alpha Terry struggle with that Honda engine compared to mm. how Red Bull have harnessed that? And yet, you've got you've got Red Bull dictating what drivers are <coughs> in there and yeah, having the pick of it. So it is a bit of a strange setup still. Yeah, they've got like a like a weird, almost like a weird monopoly over the driver market. It's yeah. such a strange position to be in for for that team it, or that like Red Bull as a team, not the Red Bull Racing or or Alphatari, like the Red Bull as a whole. It's a very very strange position to be in for sure. Having four seats available to you is a lot yeah. easier than filling two. Or well, potentially it's not four. Is it more like with reserve all? So you know you've got five six seven years. So having five six seats potentially available mm. to bring people into that stage. I'm to mix them around. The downside to that is it's very much like a double-edged sword, though, isn't it? As yeah. we've seen, yeah. you, you get given the time to to come up and shine, but then you don't shine, and then you you back down to square one. It's like 
you know, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Yeah, I think that's why Pierre had to leave AlphaTauri yeah. in order to grow and blossom into a better driver because you're never going to get another chance in that Red Bull, essentially, especially with like Danny Rick waiting, waiting in the ring. Oh my God, English, waiting in the wings. Uh, <laughs> Just to uh, uh, yeah. add a couple of things there. One, you've got Max in the other Red Bull seat, who yeah. is, you come up against Max, you've got to bring your A game. Um, but this is from another podcast. This is not from me, so I'm not going to take any credit. They talked about Fernando Alonso being a driver who knows where he's the problem and where the car's the problem. So if he's driving in a certain way and the car's not quick, he's like, that's my fault because I'm going too fast or whatever. If he's driving in a certain way, it's like, actually, no, the car's the problem because it's not put the grip down. Apparently, that's what happened with Pierre Red Bull is where they're like, no, the car can do it. It's your driving style. And, driving, and Pierre was like, no, the car can't do it. I'm going to keep driving the same way. They yeah. came to a clash, and at that point, they're like, well, it's not going to work. And unfortunately, back to Alpha Tari, you go. So I think that's just another thing is like, with Max shows what the car can do. And if you're in and about, which Sergio is, that's fine. If you're not, then we'll start looking around. Yeah, I think there's a tolerance, isn't there, on, on how close you've got to be, you yeah. know? Yeah. There's a famous story of Senna and the wall, isn't there, where the wall moved during the race, where um, he hit the wall and yeah, went back to the pits and claimed that the wall had moved and his team didn't believe him at all until they walked the track afterwards and realised that a car had actually hit the wall and the wall had moved by a couple of millimetres. And it's just a crazy to know that he's driving that place. And just insane, especially in those days. But, yeah, no case of like, what's available nowadays. And he was literally, that wall's moved by two millimetres, that's why I clipped it. Yeah, and... Yeah, it turned out to be true. So, it, you know, how many times we were drivers talk about something going wrong with the car and, yeah, we can move on. No, there's not. There's not, you know, and then two laps later, suddenly, something happens on it. You know, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you, you love, like one of the stories that springs to mind when you talk about that it was um, was Kimmy who said, there's a crack in the chassis. And they were like, no, 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 there's no, there's no crack. I don't know what you're on about. Yeah. Took it back to the factory. And they're like, ah, oh, Kimmy, yeah, actually, hold on a minute. There was like a two millimeter crack. In yeah, it was part. a hairline exactly crack. Was exactly there. where you said all, it was. All weekend, yeah, yeah, all weekend. They were like, no, no, no it nothing. To the place, wasn't it? Yeah, literally, like within like a three centimeter circle radius. It's just phenomenal how tuned in some of these drivers are. I think, I think Kimmy's maybe an exception um as being like a completely up there insane levels of you know um dedication and knowledge uh, i think in the same realms as like max lewis prost senna all that fun stuff but um it's still absolutely insane that you're able to that you're able to go yep that's uh that's an issue <laughs> I, I i promise you it's there um but yeah uh, before, if you want to, I have one more thing which I want to chat about. We have been here for a half, an hour and a half, so if you want to give up because my English <laughs> is apparently giving up, um, then uh, we can. But I will tease you with the topic, which is Andretti. Do we want to end it here, or do we want to have a quick chat about Andretti? No, I'm, I'm quite happy chatting, Jesse. I think it's quite a simple topic, you know. I, yeah, all right. I, for me, they should be allowed in. They've got the money. They've mm -hmm. got the financial backing. They've got facilities. We talk about a cost cap era. Yeah. Andretti got more than enough money to, to hit a cost cap and stay afloat. And also, this is where formal and politics comes into, into play because yeah. it's nothing to do with the buy-in. It's nothing to do with dilution of prize money because, as we discussed, the teams are financially secure. They don't... They, of course, they need the prize money, but it's not as big as a factor as it was in the past, I'd say. And what they don't want from Andretti is they don't want another team who can compete 
in the cost cap era. So what they don't want is they don't want they don't want them coming in and mixing it up and suddenly doing like Aston Martin. You know, suddenly getting in amongst the podiums, getting in amongst the good results. And I think they see him as a big threat to the establishment. I think you're right, yeah. And yeah, but then I think we should allow it. I don't see I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be allowed in Formula One at all. And for me, if you've got the money, you could afford to buy in. Should be allowed in. Simple as that, really. We, as fans, we want to see more racing, more cars, more yep. drivers. Talk about the driver market. It's two, two more slots on the grid, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we used to have twelve teams. Yeah. So why isn't there twelve again? I mean, eleven and seems a bit. And we're allowed to. She's not even against the rules. Their own, no. their own Concord agreement lets them go up to twelve teams. So it's, it's ridiculous that they're even as, as teams stalling it. Yeah, they've even registered yeah. their own rules. They can have this many teams. Yeah, it seems a bit stupid. Ash, what's your opinion on... on... Yeah, I totally agree. I yep. don't understand why there's gatekeeping. You know, um, I think it'll bring more eyes to the sport. There's a heritage there as well with the Andretti name. Um, yeah, I, I just don't understand why they're kind of kicking their heels in and saying no. <laughs> and then I presume, Matt, you're on the same... You're on the same wavelength. I'm, I'm a little bit both, so I can okay. see it from both. I can see it from both points of view. So I can see from the team's point of view, like Terry just said, why would you want to introduce another team that's going to be a threat to you? You're not. I can understand that. We would all probably do exactly the same. We would put in their team's positions. But just recent comments that Christian made as well. So Christian Horner recently made comments about where where does everything go? Because we're not talking about the F1 of 10 years ago where hardly anyone ever had, you know, like pickup trucks and different trucks for hosting different events and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot that goes into packing out a paddock this day and age. Yeah. So I can kind of see it from that point of view as well. Where where do you put an extra team? Unless said extra team came in and took over an old team. Yeah, there is that. Um, I mean, you could, you could potentially have them buy up a, a different team, but I don't know how many are on sale, really. None, I'd argue. Terry. <laughs> well... <laughs> Watch this space with Haas. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I mean, there is there is obviously potential for Haas to sort of. I mean, they they're what I think they're the second lowest budgeted team. I think Williams were on the verge as well, so I guess Williams might have a for sale sign up provided they keep the Williams like Williams Andretti or Andretti Williams Racing or whatever it is. You never know. So I think Gene Haas is going to get a lot bored before we actually realise. Yeah, I, I think with Williams, like you say, ultimately Williams are owned by. Venture capitalist, yeah, Dorlington, so yeah. When when the money when the money dries up, you know their their whole thing is building up a business to sell it on for a profit. That's what they do. That's uh, yeah. their line of work. So, um, yeah, we we've heard talk of you know Porsche coming in for Williams. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk of Williams being a team which could be muted. I suppose my only downside to that is you would probably move the operation over to America and mm. all these people who are potentially out of a job going back to the conversation we've just been saying about cost cap of the staff, that's that's my downside to something like that happening is, you know, Alpha Tauri being in Italy as well, you know, at what point if they buy a team, you're just replacing jobs for jobs and you're not actually bringing much to the sport. But, you know, Toto said about what do teams bring to the sport in terms of the bigger picture. But also, you remember is, you know, the likes of Red Bull weren't building engines before. They weren't actually, you know, up until now, they were they were a customer of one of the bigger teams in terms yeah. of their engines and stuff. So they weren't bringing it. So now they're at a point where actually, you know, Andretti is a, can bring in. They're on about bringing in obviously GM Motors, 
there's even talk that they start off with the Alpine engine but switch to you know, a GM Motors engine once once they've got their foot in the door. So you potentially say no to an engine supplier as well as yeah as well at the moment. We've seen Barmy in the current climate that we're doing that as a business as well. You've got someone coming in saying we even help build the engines and with that Audi come in and take over a team, haven't we, at the end of the day, when all the talk was they were coming in as a new team, they haven't. They've done what we've just said. They've took over a team to keep us at 10 teams on the grid. And yet, and yet that seems to be okay. No one seems to be batting on it that, you know, Alfred Mayer has, has kind of, you know, gone by the wayside because they're keeping the factory, they're keeping the facilities in place to an extent. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's, uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting how Audi is allowed, but for some reason Andretti doesn't seem to be, which is just, it just seems a very strange thing to have. Um, I think that the the only potential spanner in the works as well is obviously Andretti have been making a lot of noise, but what if you then have the Andretti application go through and they say, yep, um, somebody else might want to jump on that bandwagon. Let's say Porsche want to jump on that bandwagon. Uh, and then you have two new teams joining. Would that be too much? Or would that actually play into other teams going, yep, sure, instead of just having one new one, let's have two at the same time? I think you could go to two. I mean, going back to the paddock, you can you can dictate what what facilities go in the paddock. You can, yeah. Yeah, there's some there's some pretty pretty ginormous buildings in some of these paddocks. Look at Austin, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's look at look at Miami. You know, they yeah. put down with a couple of them inside the stadium. But I think also what you got what you got to think about is it'd be very different if one of the teams is about to go to the wall. I think so. Mm. If you if you've got a team in dire financial or Force India style, you know, about coming Monday morning and you know the doors are going to be bolted shut. Yeah. It'd be really interesting to see if there's the same attitude to Andretti coming in then as when there's thousands of jobs at risk and nine teams on the grid. I think, you know, so that's probably where the cost has probably saved saved it. You know, yeah, going back to what we said before, actually, it stopped that happening. I think it probably would have happened if we didn't have the cost cap and they probably would have got in by now. So this is probably a downside to the cost cap in, in the introduction of a new team because there isn't that, that what happened with Jordan, what happened with Force India mm. or, you know, Stuart Race and all these things where actually they're about to foreclose on it because unpaid taxes and everything else. So... Yeah, I mean, well, look at the Lotus situation. Yeah. That yeah, was I mean, that, that, that was giving Kimmy a silly contract, though, really, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, that was half <laughs> the issue, to be fair. Um, but, I mean, it's, it, it didn't help with the, with the rest of the issues, I guess. But, um, yeah, <laughs> it's, just, it's just an insane situation. It just really is. Um, but... Uh, yeah, good to good to get your thoughts on Andretti because I think that's that's one that typically the fans seem to be pretty aligned on, but including Andretti is a, a, seemingly everyone's wants another team to take part. It's just for some reason there seems to be like you said internal politics getting in the way, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah, I think they're also waiting for the buy-in to change, aren't they? I mean, yeah, two hundred million at the moment, and there's talk of it being near a billion apparently on the new Concord agreement, which. I mean, ironically, it's divided by the teams, so you can see why the teams want to, want to increase. Yeah, I wonder why, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but again, enough of that is a buy-in. Should that not go into a pot to save the teams from financial ruin? So actually, could you not put that in in a sort of trust where that that's the security instead of a cost cap maybe, or you know, each team puts into it and then puts out it. lots of options yeah. where you could put some different things. I mean, I'm sure the teams would like an extra 
you know, 20 million, 20 million dollars <laughs> on their bottom line. But it's not going to help in develop a car nowadays, is it? Whereas in the past, it would do, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, going back to going back to that cost cap in the past, when a team is brought in and they paid 20 million per team, that 20 million goes straight on your car, doesn't it? So, yeah, more inclined to let them in then, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. I think that obviously, if you, especially like a prime example, even from this season, is obviously hats. Hats? Hasses. My English has really gone. We really <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, but Hasses, tiny pit wall. Obviously, they're saying they're saving, you know, 500,000 um, uh, a year just purely on shipping costs for that. And they're like, oh, yeah, but that, you know, that doesn't come under the cap, cop, uh, cost cap. My God. Um, but then again, at the same time, if you're Hass and you're not even meeting the cost cap, it absolutely makes a difference. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, because it allows you to then on it, doesn't it? Even though it might not come under it, it's, it's free to do it, isn't it? So. Yeah. It frees up some money somewhere to go to a different part of the part of the business. So, yeah, makes sense. But um, yeah, all right. Well, I, is there is there anything that anyone else wants? Any other bits and pieces that anyone else has before we be- wrap up? I guess before my English completely goes at this point. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I don't just know what it is. absolute blast that you've been on here, chatting. It's been it's been really good, really enjoyable. No, I'm glad to hear you say that. I mean, like, literally, like, obviously, we we, we touched on, um, like, why you guys or how you guys got into sport, how you guys met, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, me and Ash would sit and, you know, play Warzone or, like, play Formula One on the, on the Xbox or whatever. And we'd just be chatting about Formula One for, like, hours on end. So we thought we might as well just sit and record it and see, you know, if other people are particularly interested in the rubbish that we have to come up with. So, I mean, like, it's, uh, it's also ridiculous. I remember when we were first talking about the podcast, we were like, oh, yeah, we can record for like half an hour you know see how it goes and then the first time we recorded it was like an hour and 20 minutes and we're like how yeah. on earth did we manage to do that it, it as, a, as, a, as a slowly creeping up aren't they exactly yeah. <laughs> you've been trying been trying to keep him I've to seen. <laughs> you, you just can't know once you once you get into that little uh, narrow road you, you just go for it don't you but so, yeah, yeah, it's good fun that. There's so many topics we haven't covered. You know, we haven't yeah. talked more about Ferrari, no. oh, the Alpines. You need, you need another podcast session for the Ferrari. Yeah. Yeah. You have to go invite us back on so we can fill in the rest of it. Yeah, we should we should definitely have you guys back on. Uh, I think um, we could probably have you guys back on. Like me, maybe because we've talked about the triple header quite a bit. You're more than welcome to come back on after the triple header, and we can follow up on half of these. Topics well, she was right. Follow, follow you on the predictions. <laughs> yeah, <go> on. <laughs> But um, yeah, alrighty then. We will we will wrap it up there. Um, so just very quickly, if you've managed to make it all the way through this one hour, forty one minutes and thirty two seconds, why on earth haven't you subscribed or rated the podcast? That is criminal from you. Uh, so please do that before you disappear. But thank you very much for listening, and we will be back as always next week. Cheers, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.